thank you for this evening. Thank you for these people and this place and this time. Thank you for this season of transition for all of us. Um, God, thank you just for your presence tonight. And thank you for your presence with us every single minute of every single day. And Father, I just pray for transformation. I pray for transformation in my own life, Lord. I pray for transformation in the lives of the people here. I pray for hearts that desire to be transformed. And God, that we would be open to anything it takes to be transformed by you so that we can become overwhelmed by you, completely overwhelmed by you. And God, I'm just, um, I'm just in awe of what you're doing and what you're going to do. I just ask you to bless this time. God, anything that you want to speak through me, I ask that you would speak it. And anything that you don't want me to say, I'd ask that you would shut my lips. Anything that's not important to someone would fall to the ground and be wasted. But anything from you, God, would not be wasted, but would be used. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you so much, Lord. Amen. Hey, guys. Hi. <laughs> I'm back. Oh, my gosh. So... We're going to um, do a really quick little review from last week, and I apologize because I did not bring any more copies of the wheel. So if you have your copy from last week, that's awesome. And if you don't, I apologize. It's, it's been an interesting week for me, but there's no excuse. I should have remembered them. So um, last week, we went through the hub. I think there are some slides with these, Keith. Um, we went through the hub, which is Christ. Or who's, who's running that? Camp. Okay. Um, so the hub was Jesus, and that was the volitional dimension. And you remember volitional is what you choose to do. So you have the choice of doing these things. Then the vertical dimension, the first one was the word, and then the second one was the prayer spoke, and we stopped there. Um, does anyone have something they want to share that the Lord spoke to them last week or this week about any of this? Or even not about this. Does anyone have something? I know, I wish Michael was here, so I'm going to share this for him. Um, Michael came up to me afterwards, Michael Heller, and he said, um, do you know what the Hebrew word for repent is? And I said, I said, no, I didn't look that up. And he said it's the word teshuva, and that means return. And I thought it was so cool that I named my new horse that this week. <laughs> so I just, Teshuva, I just really love that. And I love the fact it meant return. Because isn't that really what we're doing when we repent? We're returning to the Lord. We're returning to that garden state where we're not separated by sin. Right? So Teshuva, if Michael was here, he was going to share that. So you can tell him I did it for him. Does anyone else have anything they'd like to say or add or ask or anything? Oh, please don't be a quiet group tonight, guys. <laughs> okay, so we're going to jump in to the next two spokes and the rim tonight. And just like last week, I would like some participation. Um, so the first verse that we're going to look at is 1 John chapter 1, and it's actually a section uh, of verses 1 through 7. So he wants to read. I know Jeremy does. But we're going we're gonna to branch out. Someone, oh, Anna, yay. Hang on, let me get a drink here. So 1 John 1, 1 through 7.
We declare to you that we declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed and we have seen it and testified to it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with our with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in the darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with the one with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. Okay, so the first um, horizontal spoke, that would be the one out to the side, is going to be fellowship. And um, I have a really good friend, his name is Keith Matthews, and he loves me so much that he sent a really neat quote, and I think it'll be the next slide, Hamp, or the next slide with, um, yes, if you are right with him, you will inevitably, and I spelled that wrong, be right with all your fellow creatures, just as if all the spokes of a wheel are fitted rightly into the hub and the rim, and they are bound to one another, are bound to be in the right position to one another. That's a C.S. Lewis quote that Keith saw this morning. And so I added that. That was not part of my original notes because clearly it is amazingly perfect for this particular teaching. But the point that I really want to emphasize is if we are not in right relationship with God, we cannot be in right relationship um, with our fellow believers, with fellow Christians, even unbelievers, just anybody. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about fellowship tonight. And Keith did a great job kind of breaking the ice on that a few weeks ago when he talked about community. Um, we're going to look at the word koinonia again in a few verses. And so the first one is Acts 2.42, and this Natalie has agreed oh, that I'm bringing it to you because I have a Bible. <laughs> Here. And it's even um, highlighted in pink, Natalie. Yeah, really. Right there. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and no prayer. Okay. So the marks of a healthy church are a group of people continually devoting themselves. What does that mean to you guys? When you hear someone say continually devoting, what does that say to you? Speak up. They're continually praising God. What else? He's a word guy. Here. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Um, just, you're with them through the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right, Jeremy, you're up. <laughs> uh, continuing to give their all every day to God. Not just to God. They're, this is continual devotion to one another. 
But if you're not giving your all to God, it's really hard because people, people are just hard, guys, you know? I mean, no matter how much you love someone, sometimes it's, it's just hard. It's just hard. And that's reality is we're not going to always agree. We're not going to always get along. We're not going to always be in the unity that Jesus wanted us to have. Who wants to read um, Philippians 2, 1 through 2? That'll be our next. Yeah. Um, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Yeah, so that's that's the kind of fellowship we're talking about. Yeah, wholehearted fellowship, working together, um, agreement, and that doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything. That's agreement that Jesus is Lord, and no matter what happens, we're not going to let offense we're not going to let bad behavior, we're not going to let these things get in the way of that fellowship, right? And so it's, it's easy now because we're kind of small in this body, but we're expecting big things out of God. And there's going to come a day when there's going to be a lot more than, than us. And it's, it, we're going to have very interesting, I believe, very interesting people here. And I speak that prophetically, okay? And so... We're going to have to be willing to look past the interesting and really commit wholeheartedly in Christ to them, okay? Um, 1 Corinthians 1, is that okay to do? I just kind of spoke that out, but that's really been on my heart. I'm sorry, I should have asked you. Okay, okay. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by... Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you by brothers and sisters. That's okay. That's okay. That was verse 11. Good job. It's hard. It's hard to read out loud, you know, if you're not used to it. What is a recurring theme in all of these verses besides fellowship, clearly fellowship? What is one mind, one unity, Right? All these verses are talking about oneness. So, Hamp, if you want to put our little fellowship equals communion slide up there. Okay, so the word fellowship is actually from the Greek koinonia. And that word has multiple definitions that all, um, if you look at them, fellowship, community, communion, intercourse, intimacy. But what I found really interesting is the base word for koinonia means Whatever you're talking about is of the altar in Jerusalem on which the sacrifices are offered. Okay, is that not amazingly cool? That is the kind of fellowship. Do you have some? You want to say some? The Hebrew 
for fellowship or unity is koanim. Oh. Cool. I didn't see. I haven't looked up any I Hebrew. Didn't yeah, so similar. Yeah. So the type of fellowship that this word is trying to produce in us and tell us about is this sacrificial lay yourself on the altar kind of fellowship. Isn't that crazy? So I saw that and I was just like, oh man, I'm failing here. <laughs> That's the first thought. I am failing here. But here's the thing, guys. We may have momentary failures, but there is a super cool verse section of scripture that shows us that we can't fail. And the reason we can't fail is found in John 17, verses 22 and 23. See through 23. <clears throat> I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you will are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. We can't fail with unity because Jesus prayed for it. Okay? So that should also encourage us to really strive to be that kind of unit, have that kind of unity. But Jesus prayed for the believers, for the believers, sorry, um, that we would be one as he and the Father are one, and he and the Father are one like the sun and the warmth of the sun and the light of the sun are one, okay? So if you think about the sun out there, you feel the warmth, you see the light, you see the great blazing ball. You know, Don't look at it, though. It'll hurt your eyes. Um, but all of that, it's, it's one, one thing. And so Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are all one, and that kind of unity is what he's praying for us, and that's, that kind of unity is what he wants in us. <clears throat> I didn't put this up, up there, but um, the Greek word for unity is actually a word that means one. And so I just needed to emphasize that. So we've got some very clear results of koinonia that we need to see. It's going to be found in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Gabe going to read tonight? I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in the manner worthy of calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Uh, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one. Hope that, belong, hope that belongs to your call. So what's the result? What's the result of that kind of fellowship from that verse, those verses? Oneness. Oneness is the result. One mind, one heart. What all does it say? Let me get there. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father is over all, through all, and in all. Okay? So oneness is important. I have a book recommendation tonight. One of the best books that I've read on Koinonia Fellowship is a book called Connecting by the author Larry Crabb. And um, it, it just, it talks a lot about uh, the intimacy and intercourse part of Koinonia. 
and how um, vulnerable you have to be. And that's hard for a lot of us to be vulnerable. So if you're a reader, connecting by Larry Crabb. Okay, so the next spoke um, is the witnessing spoke. I need someone to read Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Yeah. Thank goodness he's with us always, huh? He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Okay, so I think Jesus made it pretty clear he expects disciples to witness. How many freak out at the thought of that? (laughs) I don't really freak out at this point in my life, but there was a time when I really freaked out. Um, The point of those two verses is simply that it's expected. Witnessing is expected. Um, I don't have time to get into all of the details of how you can witness and where you can go to witness and, and all of that. We're going to talk about a few things tonight. But, um, but needless to say, witnessing does not always mean running up to someone and going, Brother, are you saved? Do you know Jesus? <laughs> okay. It very rarely involves that. Maybe sometimes. Um, let's look up. We've got several verses in Acts to look at. Acts 1.8. Someone look up Acts 1 8, Acts 2 43 through 47, and Acts 5 12 through 14. When, when, the Holy, <laughs> sorry, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, Samaria, <laughs> and to the ends of the earth. That's okay. I looked at someone. Yeah. When, when I met my biological father, he, I gave him a verse from Malachi, and he goes, oh, Malachi. And I was just like, no. <laughs> it does look like Malachi. <laughs> Who, um, he's got, you got two? Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay, in that first verse that um, I got sidetracked with the mispronunciation, um, that Jeremy read, it's okay, it's, it's okay. We're free here, right? Um, So in that first verse, the Holy Spirit, you know, Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit's going to come on you in power. And because of that power, you're going to be my witnesses. If if we're claiming to be filled and or baptized in the Holy Spirit, there should be some level of power in us to witness. And I'm not saying that as a condemnation. I'm saying that as an encouragement. It it doesn't mean, you know, that you're going to stand on a stage like Billy Graham and bring thousands to the Lord. It means that in whatever situation of life you're in, 
you have power and you need to understand that you have power and you don't need to be afraid to speak about Jesus or simply to be nice to someone in Jesus's name. That's witnessing as well. But remember that you've got that power in the verses that, that Keith, I keep wanting to call you Kevin. I am so sorry. In, yeah, there you go. Um, in Keith's verses, the men and women of the church were gathering daily. They were eating together. They were, they were selling everything they had and laying, you know, the money at the apostles' feet. And people, they found favor with the people because of these actions. They weren't necessarily going up to folks and saying, hey, have you heard about Jesus? Jesus was kind of the thing to talk about at that time. I mean, that was a huge conversation in Jerusalem and surrounding areas after his resurrection. I mean, everybody was talking about it. So they didn't really have to open a conversation about Jesus. He was just kind of the main event. And But it was, their, it was their gathering and their love for one another and their unity, their koinonia, that was causing the favor with the people that saw so many people getting saved. Okay? So let's see what Anna's got. Now many signs and wonders were done among the people through the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Yet more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, great numbers of both men and women. Once again, high esteem, great favor, and it was because of their love for one another and their behavior towards one another. Um, so I wanted to share those verses to just mainly to, to show you that it's a, it's a lifestyle of witnessing, a lifestyle of testifying to Christ. I know, a, you know, I know several people who, in their work situations, even though they are working with other believers, they're constantly told, you're different, you're not like, you know, not, and no one's saying it's because you're a Christian, they're just, they're noticing that difference. And so that should be something happening normally, you know, in your life. If you're, if you're a Christian, people should be going, huh, why did you do that? That was so nice. You didn't have to do that, you know, that kind of thing. Um, we're going to look up two sections of Corinthians, and I, I weighed whether to go here or not, but we're going to go here tonight. So 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 8, and then 1 Corinthians 12, Four through eleven, and we're going to talk about spiritual gifts for a minute. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God gave it growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God and who makes things grow. <laughs> that verse freed me up. Just a little brief floral history. I was raised Presbyterian and got saved in a Baptist church. Went to Lakeview Baptist for 10 or 15 years. And anyone who's been raised in a Baptist church or familiar with a Baptist church knows that they put a heavy emphasis on witnessing to the extent that, you, that I, I will not say everybody, but I certainly felt very condemned because I did not go out on Monday nights and witness. Um, I went through all their training and, and certainly have used a lot of the training I got during that time, but I didn't see people, like, running after me to say the sinner's prayer. I didn't see people getting saved. And that verse freed me because it made me understand, number one, it wasn't about me. God's the one doing it. 
you're just supposed to be faithful with what he's given you and, and, and say whatever it is he gives you to say or do whatever it is he gives you to do. He's the one who causes the growth. He's the one who, who causes the salvation. And so anyone who might possibly be sitting under this kind of cloud of condemnation from maybe a past situation, I just want to free you from that and let you know God's the one doing it. You plant, you water, you sow the seed, you fertilize. Whatever it is that God has gifted you to do, you do, and then leave it with the Lord. Don't, don't take that. Please don't carry that burden like I did, okay? So 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. He's got that one. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who activates all of them and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit in, uh, in other, wait, the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same spirit who allots to each one individually just as the spirit chooses. All right, so we've already got the verse up there and we've got my little slide here. Um, I have stolen this borrowed it, plagiarized it, whatever term you want to use, from um, a, a book and a training series called Networking. Um, I meant to bring that book tonight, too, to let y'all see it, because I really like it. But the point that, that they make in that, in that training, um, in, in those verses, uh, particularly, let me get there real quick the earlier part where it talks about there's a variety. Okay, sorry. Um, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, varieties of ministries, but the same Lord, and varieties of effects or workings, but the same God who works all things in all. So what we need to remember when we're thinking about witnessing, I think sometimes we get hung up on the idea that we all need to be evangelists. And evangelism is definitely a gift. It is a gift I do not have, <laughs> okay? I can talk to people about Jesus, but I don't have that burning drive to get out there every day like some of my friends who have the gift of evangelism have. They live and breathe witnessing. And so they've got the spiritual gift of witnessing, of evangelism, excuse me. Now, they may have a different personal style, okay? Um, personal style is you're either very people-oriented or you're very task-oriented, um, you're very structured in what you do, or you're very unstructured. So everybody's got a different style. And then the effect and workings that the Lord gives, and I emphasize that, um, is going to be your ministry passion. Where will you serve, and then how will that service turn out? The point in all of this 
is we are all so different. Please stop comparing yourselves. Okay, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself, y'all, because I've got a friend, his name's Jeremiah, and he goes out at, to these flea markets, and, and that man, he'll talk to anybody, and, and he, he will weave, like I'll watch him, and he will just weave Jesus into the conversation. Um, Mindy's dad, Dave Fisher, oh my goodness, he's another one, weaves Jesus into every conversation. And I just stand there, and if you're not careful, you'll go, that's how I'm supposed to be. And that's not the way the Lord wants us to witness, okay? I witness by being the nice veterinarian at work, okay? Not that the others are not nice. I have a wonderful, wonderful boss and associates to work with. But I say thank you every single Tuesday and Thursday. And it's something simple, but the kids have come to me time and time again and said, we so appreciate that. It means so much to us. And it's something little, but it's, it's something that means something to them. Um, all of this is based on the Spirit of God doing as he wills. And if we will just keep in mind that it is up to the Spirit, number one, what gifts we have. If you don't know what gift you have, go online. There are plenty of assessments. Talk to your best friends. They may see the gifting that you have. Um, it all depends on our our personality makeup. You guys are going to be shocked, but I'm an introvert by nature. Like, I would much rather at this very minute be in the mountains by myself, not standing in front of a group of people. <laughs> I swear, really. <laughs> you can go with me as long as you stay on the other side of the cabin. Okay? <laughs> I mean, that's how much of an introvert, you know, and Mike will tell you, you know, <laughs> he knows I would much rather be alone in a, in a mountain cabin for Weeks and weeks and weeks, but that has not happened at this point in my life. Um, okay, we have a goal. We have a goal with our gifting, and we have a goal with our witnessing. The first goal is to glorify God. That is always the first goal. No matter what we're doing, we need to be glorifying God. The second goal in our witnessing, however that looks, is to edify and build up others. Okay? Love Jesus, love others. Glorify God, edify others. That is the goal of our witnessing. The goal of our witnessing is not necessarily making disciples. Even, you know, I mean, Jesus said we needed to do that. We need to make disciples. The goal of our witnessing is not getting people saved. That's not our job. The goal of our witnessing is just showing people Jesus. Glorifying God and edifying others, showing people Jesus. Okay? Pardon? Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So let's say your gift is evangelism, but your personal style is people-structured, you're people-oriented, you like being around people, and your ministry passion is college students. Okay? Your ministry passion is college students. So a person like that would go to the college campus right up the street, and they would engage college students in conversation. That's how their witnessing would look. Someone whose gift might be evangelism, but they're more task-oriented, but still love college students, they might organize events where people who are more people-structured can engage with the college students. So do you see how it works? So we need, to, we need to do that. Two cautions. One is projection. And the projection is, I have this gift. This is the way it manifests in me. So it needs to manifest in you exactly the same way. 
lie from the pit of hell, don't believe it, don't take that burden. It's a burden to try to be what somebody else is designed by God to be. The second one is, I've got this gift, and it's better than yours. You know? Yeah, there you go. Do that again, Emily. How do you do that? Yeah, there you go. So there is not a single gift that's better than anyone else's. They're all meant to glorify God and edify the body, okay? So we've got our little hub. You remember the hub was Jesus. We've got to start there. We've got these four spokes. We've got the word and prayer going up and down, and we've got the horizontal dimension of fellowship and witnessing. So we get to the rim, and I don't think I have a picture of this, but the rim is obedience to Christ. This is the second part of your choice. You've got all these things in place, but if think about a wheel without a rim and just spokes on a hub. Is that wheel effective? It's not effective at all. Um, I can't think of, of even a reason why it would be. So if we're not, if we have all these things in place, but we're not being obedient to Christ, then we're completely ineffective. So a reminder, volition is the cognitive process, the thinking process by which an individual decides on and commits to a particular course of action. It has a defined purposeful striving. So I have this little quote. If Hamp will put that up. Obedience is the sweet incense of a heart unimpressed and uninterested in anything but God. What our hands and feet do is a true indicator of what our hearts really love. Obedience is the outward indication of inward heart health and love for Jesus. This, that is obedience, is our worship. Okay? Um, We are going to look at 1 Samuel 15, 1 through 26 for a bit of a warning. Okay? 1 Samuel 15, 1 through 26. Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did in opposing the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, Oxen, sheep, camel, and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 soldiers of Judah. Saul came to the, city, to the city of the Amalekites and lay in the weight of the valley. Saul said to the Kenites, Go, leave, withdraw from among the Amalekites, or I will destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites withdrew from the Amalekites. Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah, as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. He took the king Agag of the Amalekites alive, but utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was valuable, and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. The word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned his back from following me and has not carried out my commands. Samuel was angry and cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel arose early in the morning to meet Saul, and Samuel was told, Saul went to Caramel, where he set up a monument for himself. And on returning, he passed on down to Gilgal. When Samuel came to Saul, Saul said to him, May you be blessed by the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. But Samuel said, 
What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we were utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop, I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. He replied, Speak. Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Samuel said to Saul, Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of the Amalek, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But from the spoil, the people took sheep and cattle, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. 26. And Samuel said, As the Lord has a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obedience to the voice of the Lord, surely to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed the heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is no less a sin than divination, and stubbornness is like iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed your voice. Now therefore I pray, pardon my sin and return with me, so that I may worship the Lord. Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. <laughs> um. What I'd like to point out about that passage is that Samuel, that Saul, excuse me, um, he hid his disobedience behind worship. He was told very clearly, destroy, utterly destroy everything. Man, woman, boy, girl, sheep, oxen, everything. And instead, he tried to make it look like he had saved the best to worship the Lord with. That's not obedience. Obedience is doing what you're told the first time with a cheerful heart, whether it's your parents or the Lord. <laughs> okay? So, so I, I, that was the caution that I wanted um, us to just be aware of, is that I'm, I'm afraid that sometimes, and, and I know I've seen it, people hide disobedience, but they are very exuberant in their worship style or... Um, in, in their, uh, they're very committed with when they come to church. They're there every time the doors open, but they're living a life of sin, you know, in between the times the doors are open. That's not worship. That's not obedience. Um, let's look at Ephesians five, nineteen through 24, and 1 John 5, 2 through 4. So Ephesians. As you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making your melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord, for the husband is the head of of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, and the body of which he is the Savior." Just as the church is subject to Christ, also wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. 
Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. So, remember back when we started this last week, and we spent a pretty good long time on the word repent and repentance. And we talked about the fruit of repentance, kind of to tie everything up from way back there to tonight. The fruit of repentance is obedience. If you want to sum it up very succinctly, the fruit of repentance is obedience. And you can't get to obedience without repentance. Okay? So I am finished with this little monologue. And thank you for your time and for listening. Does anyone have any question or anything they want to share or add or subtract or multiply? Jeremy. Jeremy.